Ajahn, could you comment on how to deal with sexual energy in terms of how the mind picks it up and runs with it? Romantic or sexual fantasy can appear, is very pleasant, and is difficult to put down. How do I train the mind to let go of this so it can experience a more wholesome and longer term happiness that does not come from thinking about sensual pleasure? Well, you know, first of all, you're sure there is a more wholesome and long term happiness? <laughs> <laughs> Because if there is, if you have access to it, then there's no problem, really. And that's the, the, one of the points of um, meditation, and particularly uh, well, all kinds of meditation, actually. Is, uh, well, first of all, there's the whole sense of deriving more pleasure from um, such things as uh, feeling relaxed, feeling comfortable, feeling at ease, feeling trust, feeling confident feeling, uh, you know, uh, uh, benevolent towards other beings and feeling with self-respect. So the more than one cultivates such qualities, then generally things that energy is generally more restful and uh, less less intense and <clears throat> more directed in, in those channels. Um, also, but then embodiment itself uh, is, a, is a kind of fairly direct way of um, directing or handling sexual energy. This body, body energy is sexual energy. <coughs> In many respects, I mean, may not seem that way, but the life force itself, kiwita sexual in that it is a vitality that you know, it's got that uh, quality to it so this is where of course um, you know again it's the intensification and the, and the narrowing uh, of that energy into um, sexual areas that, that make it problematic or ideally through, through meditation you can rest meditation and embodiment meditation you can sort of suffuse the body with, with energy therefore it doesn't get so trapped and narrowed into purely <coughs> outgoing tendencies uh, sexual energy which generally sort of generates tension with the idea that having generated tension there will be pleasure in release there's a certain kind of pleasure in generating that kind of that tension because it it fires everything up um, so that can can be seen or experienced as pleasant although when one has sampled other kinds of pleasure, one finds it rather unpleasant. Kind of rough, of course, um, 
embracing. So definitely um, accessing other kinds of, of pleasure is one big thing. Then you feel actually this is not very pleasant at all. It's rather nagging, disagreeable. Uh, and it gets obsessive. Um, there's an intensification of that. So <coughs> certainly widening and diffusing the body energy through the entire body is a way that directly transmutes sexual energy and also gives one an appreciation of this is more pleasant and long term whereas sexual energy is always kind of hungry and and, uh, if it goes into sexual desire it's hungry and then any gratification is fairly brief and generally then you know then he wants some more with any other kind of tanha just doesn't work. <clears throat> um, but yeah, when it's going, it's got a hypnotic, magnetic effect. And that's the nature of energy and the nature of pleasure. Is it, it fascinates. So, so once again, the the uh, fascination and the hypnotic effect of it, where it mesmerizes and dazzled. The more you handle energy, you're less, you're a bit more um, dispassionate about it. It's because you've kind of almost handled the raw stuff, and you know you could, you know, you, once you can handle it, di- diversify it, and smooth it, and balance it, no longer has quite the same um, um, special quality to it. And yeah, you know that, that sense of broadening it, so it's not just running down a purely uh, um, sexual channel or genital channel associated purely with sexual contact. Romantic also. So this is uh, kind of similar, but then there's the whole fantasy realm. Uh, the sexual energy is just a feature of life. Where you, with you, whatever you do with it, there it is. Uh, and so what I'm talking about first of all is accepting there is this energy in life and it but we can we don't have we can transmute it we can we can shift it around and make it more comfortable and agreeable fantasy is also something you can fantasize about anything really so the that's the other piece that having experiencing a quality such as energy uh, and then um, the mind picks it up and runs with it. So this can be any kind of energy, thought energy, get excited about ideas, um, romantic energy, fantasize about um, um, fantasize. A bit rusty on this one actually. <laughs> <laughs> remember what it's really like. <laughs> anyway, you might know better than me. Um, but it's certainly, it's, you generate something that really is quite a, quite a fan, phantom. And then you probably plant it onto some poor human being to, to <laughs> try and make them be that.
that phantom, that's extremely you know, tragic in many ways. <clears throat> but to pick it up and run with with any kind of fantasy, there's the, the perception, which itself is a generated thing, generated thing, something the mind generates. It generates, and when it generates a perception, there's a, there's a certain meaning, you could say. Generally the meaning of, of a pleasant perception is uh, enjoyable, lovely, fruitful, juicy, you know, fulfilling. That's the meaning within it, whatever, or powerful, or somehow, you know, one's going to be enriched by this this, this thing we, we generate a fantasy or fantasy around. So the mind does that. Uh, and then naturally, when that's there, then, you know, you've got something that really is quite difficult to, to not rush into. The sankara is the rushing into, is the grabbing of it. So it's difficult, to, once you reject, when that thing's been generated, then you've got to keep raining, pulling back. Uh, and so one can, uh, you know, do several things, whereas you just take that, you just plant another perception. So if it's sexual, you can plant the perception of the body as unattractive, as decaying, or, or as a, you know, membranes and mucus and, and unattractive things that don't arouse um, fantasy at all. So you can kind of train yourself to plant that uh, disagreeable uh, perception. So you, you, you don't get a sankara running into that until it turns around and runs the other way. <laughs> Uh, so that's one one way you do it. The other way is you you because uh, um, just restraining. Uh, but then you're really careful not to generate the fantasy in the first place. That's the best thing. And so again, if you're getting more fulfilment in other areas, then you don't. The mind isn't isn't wanting isn't you know it, it's not doing that. So if you're getting enough happiness and joy and comfort in other areas then you, you do, the mind doesn't project all this gratification uh, energy into into a fantasy because it's, you, don't, you don't need to you're getting what you need already and that's another thing that what samadhi is about really gives you gives you what you need you don't so it tends to remove the, the uh, reason for fantasy <coughs> that's another means um, and of course if you're very wise and you have a lot of wisdom then you know uh, your mind loses interest in fantasizing because this is just not nothing real it's just and it knows it not just the theory so it doesn't do it so all these things will help. And, but then just recognizing, you know, why is it one gets so so charged, so hungry, so charged up? I think this area of life is clearly uh, always been there for people, and but I don't know if it's any more now than before, but certainly much more, you know, proclaimed. And uh, because I think there's a lot of frustration and barrenness and dryness and lack of real warm 
uh, rich, uh, gratitude, you know, real deep uh, uh, qualities. And perhaps people feel this is the way they can, best way they can, you know, bond with other humans, which is a necessary, which is a helpful thing when you're lonely. So there are these, these kind of sub messages there. Clearly, if you're having enjoyable contact with other people in a way where you don't, that energy is not necessary, then you, you don't, this tends to not happen. But yeah, once it is extremely pleasant, it's difficult to put down. Best not to generate it. And ways of not generating that are certainly, first of all, what I've already said, but then another aspect is to uh, uh, you know to what extent is one a man or a woman you know so there are certain qualities and, and things you can do and ways you can consider things that emphasize your your own sexual identity you know, so you can kind of make big thing out of being a man or a woman and that once you, you start doing that then you've more or less lit, lit the flame, uh, you know, because you, you've emphasized the masculinity quality in yourself or the femininity quality in yourself, and then that will tend to seek or, or see things in those gender uh, sexually specific terms. Whereas if you conceive yourself more like being a human being or, or something like that, then that's not necessary. Interesting, you know. In Thailand, they, they, they sense that, that bhikkhus are not men or women, they're, they're just another sex altogether. <laughs> but they don't do, they don't really make anything on that, they don't emphasize that. There's no, no uh, whatever it does to make you feel more manly, we don't do it. <laughs> so you don't, you know, you don't get things going in the first place and that certainly helps desire to sleep could you say something about the desire to sleep Hmm. sleep delicious Um, dulling (laughs) place Finally, one hasn't had to be responsible for anything. Uh, bodily relaxation, resting those aching muscles, <sighs> not having to figure anything out. <sighs> Warm, cozy. <sighs> That's my comment on desire. <laughs> well, the desire to not sleep, <laughs> awake, uh, fresh, uh, taking you know, able to, to to shift things, change direction, to come to terms with an alter, make promote potential differences to my life, to my well-being, uh, clear some karma. 
to be of service to others, make my life meaningful. Desire to wake up. Ah, yes. <laughs> Put the two together. What comes out on top? Well, you know, uh, there's a need to sleep, or some need to sleep. There's what is in it is to relax the muscles, the body, you know, to let energy subside. As, and again, if you're more skillful in meditation, then that lessens. Because from the start, you, you learn how to discharge energy, so you're not in a kind of mind is running, rushing, rushing, rushing. Um, so then you get this experience of you don't really want to sleep because it's rather enjoyable being awake because your mind isn't strained or rough or ugly or hyper or tense so it's rather pleasant you actually want to be there with it so that's a therapy of boob and if you more than you if your meditation is going well uh, uh, then it's also you're burning up less energy uh, and so it's generally somewhat re- replenishing rather than um, depleting meditation will tend to uh, boost your energy rather than drain it if it's going if things are going well and so then sleep is really just more like resting the body and, uh, and so on but then naturally in the, in the difficulty difficult times then uh, you know, we feel that need to sleep can be another fantasy, another sense of, or oh, get away from all this, you know, just switch it off, just get my head down, get away from all this. Uh, that's understandable, but uh, not advisable to uh, try to. You shift posture, you try see if you can resolve some of that escapist quality. If you can resolve that escapist quality in in careful applied wakefulness, it will be to greater benefit. Another question, resistance or wanting to get rid of body pain or physical pains. Can you please give any advice or practice we can train the mind when faced with them? Well, body has, um, is, gets occupied by pain. And pleasure. So it's a host, and it's one of the things that settles into it is is pain. Uh, it's, it's one of the visitors to the body is pain. So, 
pretty inevitable visit so something we must uh, come to terms with recognizing this is almost an inevitable visitor to the body and uh, meeting it someone can feel indignant about it but it's more it's, it's every right to be here it's part of what the body inherits and uh, you're encouraged to make an effort with this make an effort to uh, attend carefully and so that the physical pain doesn't become psychological frustration or impatience or stress um, this is, is of course takes quite a bit of doing but if we contemplate pain just as it is without the inference me if that's possible or if we first of all contemplate pain rather than pain in my leg because how do you know it's your leg is it in your leg or in your mind or where uh, so you we experience pain and we associate that there's a mental association with my leg for example and that's a reasonable association it doesn't help and so we just put, put aside leg and what is pain so repeated energy digging, abrasive and contemplate perhaps means to best to visualize it so is it like iron or like light or like stones, does it grind, does it stab, does it run, does it squeeze, what does it do? Just just imagine it to be a visitor, like a creature, like like some bug or lizard or something, some creature, what does it do? So the more one gets that sense of, okay, here's that one again, Uh, and objectifies it and sees it as a thing in its own right. This certainly can help to allay some of the psychological uh, uh, stuff comes up. Now, so this is, say, one way of contemplating pain. And then responding to it with the mind that is not aversive again easy to roll off the tongue but if you can objectify it to to being like some creature then you may, it helps it's not my leg and this is killing me but this is like a physical creature a creature you can visualise then you can imagine talking to it or uh, stroking it or witnessing it, so your responses to it are much less um, uh, per, you know, much less um, accentuated by the desire to get rid of it. And you can breathe into it, send energy into it. The tendency, again, is to try to cordon off pain, to, to um, fence it off and somehow resist it, push it away, resist it. 
Uh, this doesn't. This generates agitation and tension. So could that fence come down? We allow the pain to move, and you notice there's a centre to it, and a periphery to it, an edge to it. There's a central piece which is flaring or pulsing, and then around that there'll be lesser intensities. So you scan the entire area and see if you can move to the lesser intense aspect of it and then sweep your attention from the lesser intense to the places which are not in pain and then sweep up to the places that are no are completely painless and then sweep down from the painless to the slightly painfully uncomfortable and just skirt the most difficult piece and see if you can just stroke the edge of it with your with stroking awareness this helps to to stop the energy bottling up into that intensify just as with sexual energy you've got energy and if it intensifies it's got massive power but if you loosen it and diversify it and diffuse it it has less <coughs> less of that kind of power naturally with physical pain the power is aversive so, so, if we, so if we can do something of that nature like sweeping exercise it can help the mind at least to to uh, respond and act more skillfully and therefore we feel a little bit more less pushed against the wall by it less cornered by it it's the impotence that's the difficulty the psychological difficulty the impotence and the feeling crushed by it so if that can change that definitely helps the psychological aspect of pain now there are some kinds of pains seem to be more associated perhaps with um, psychological or, or mental causes someone feels a certain tension in one's heart or in one's throat or in one's face or in one's belly there's a certain associated perhaps with anxiety or fear or something of this nature and so it's not because a muscle is twisted or because of pressure on it it's something else and so these kinds of and you'll probably well at least start guessing with that only if it's in the, the sort of softer tissues in the torso, it can be associated with with uh, nervous qualities, various kinds, such as tension or withdrawal, or, or and that can be a withdrawal around a, a hurt experience. As the body acts as a uh, reference to, to mind so strong emotions affect the body and so to, to some physical pains are associated with emotional qualities and so this is certainly the case with uh, abuse abusive impingement abusive infliction abusive impact tends to generate a retraction in the body, a 
kind of congestion in the body, a tightening in the body. And if this is uh, of a chronic nature, that can be locked in there. And so, traumatic, you might say. So this can be particularly with very early abusive experiences then where one had no way of really understanding what was going on uh, then this, this could be stuck there and we have had a way to release it or to, to find a way out of it and then the sense of impotence it can, can be a huge undercurrent with that helpless under this so the psychological effect can be very large So again, therefore, the right relationship, and of course, once normal relationship, we just want to get rid of it. Well, that isn't helpful. And so we don't want to do that. So check that relationship, uh, or fear. You know, this is going to kill me or overwhelm me. Well, maybe it is, but be. Being fearful of it isn't going to make it any better, is it? <laughs> so, and the more fear and anxiety one gets, the more intense the psychological pain becomes. So we want to quell that one too, pull that aside, instead develop a more, what, what do you want? What, what's helpful? Uh, that kind of attention. What's really helpful here? What's needed? And sort of inclining into it rather than pushing away from it, inclining into it with a spacious, uh, interested and warm attention. What's helpful here, what's needed here, and what will be good for this? Not to fix it, but what would, what does the experience itself seem to be calling for? What does the experience itself seem to be calling for? Is it security? Is it warmth? Is it... I don't know. Yeah. So don't have any words, but have that intention. Are you, are you asking for something? What would be helpful here? Again, that may uh, generate a certain something. It can shift rather mysteriously on an emotional level, on a perceptual level. And we may remember something, or we may feel ourselves different, or a number of things can happen. So, so pain has, has different physical pain has different qualities, and it um, it's just something to study and learn relationship with. Learn relationship with it. This is what we can do with everything learn how to relate to it, rather than these simple get it, get rid of it <laughs> which is a very <laughs> limited relationship and very little value we're learning things like patience and openness and compassion and you know, non-identification much more helpful so when you practice with these 
also try to be aware of the tendency to feel you've got to tough it out or overcome it. This may be, may be possible, but it's not necessarily the most wholesome relationship, useful relationship. Uh, you know, or to feel that you you can you can't you sort of make some um, standard of being able to bear to 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 bear with something. Again, this is not very useful because then there's a point in which you just can't bear with it, and you don't want to make it into a failure so much as just oh that's the limit of that. Uh, now we withdraw and refresh and come back again another day because pain is going to be with us all our life. So you always get another chance to have another go at it. Are feelings largely determined by memory and perception? Mental feelings are... Mental feelings are, physical feelings are, but mental feelings are. Perception. This is happening to me, and the perception. It could be another way. It should be another way. It was another way. Uh, That's the memory. Someone dies, and I. He was alive. He was my friend. He was so good to me. That's the memory. And then now he's gone, dead, finished. There's the pain. So in that way, the perception and the memory is the, the trigger for, for um, disagreeable mental feeling. Actually, you know, in one way, it's one's alive or one's not alive. When you're not alive, there's no comparison. You're just not alive. But, you know, characteristically we carry memories and perceptions of each other that we have in the back of our minds and you see someone and, oh, there she is again, how nice, you know, you, you, you have that reference. But, so, there's, then there can be uh, an agreeable feeling. So this is how mental feeling works. Who does it happen to? Self is created through feeling, or is conditioned by it. You know, the impotent self, the struggling self, the uh, hurt self, the happy self. It's, it's one of the one of the foods for the sense of self is feeling. Self, and of course uh, we can experience agreeable feeling, perceptions associated with goodwill, associated with uh, compassion, associated with Buddha, that memory perception, something warms and lights, we get an agreeable feeling, agreeable perception and agreeable feeling. So this is what we can, how we can handle these these, uh, Cumbers to balance them in a way for our welfare and happiness, and then also through insight to see them as of this nature, to not 
expect them to be absolute. Comment on helping on planning and mental rehearsing when the body is doing something else as hindrances. How best to cultivate not doing these things. Planning and rehearsing is um, in order that uh, the future will work out uh, comfortably or clearly or effectively. That's what it's about. So that the future will work out the best it can, be tidy, straightforward, hassle-free, and and, uh, so on. There's a kind of fantasy that we all uh, follow, (laughs) and to some extent it's necessary and it it works to a degree. But then, of course, the act of planning so that the future will be agreeable and effective, the act of constantly planning is rather disagreeable because the mind has to keep pumping away, calculating this and that, maybe this and that, this and that. Well, perhaps it's agreeable, uh, but I find it rather disagreeable, (laughs) the mental agitation of it. And I'm prepared to do it to a degree because, yeah, you know, okay, it's not that much fun, but, um, you you know, you have to get the train or the plane or whatever, so get on with it, do it, as a function, because not everything is necessarily has to be agreeable to do it. Some things aren't agreeable, but they're okay. And then once you stop resisting it, and uh, then it's just what it is, it's, not, it's just what it is. But so resisting it, uh, you can get let go of that. But the issue here is is perhaps being over fond of it. In other words, the one is um, something in the mind is is doing that to for what really for what if you're planning and rehearsing a lot, what are you really doing? Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a, there's a functional requirement that when it becomes heightened to the extent that the question suggests there's a fantasy element in there <coughs> yeah. this is called bhava tanha craving to become which means there's a craving which is the whole fantasy quality uh, fantasy is born of this craving. It's not reasonable, it's not rational, it's not functional, it becomes uh, uh, an addiction. Mm. Fantasy element of it is that uh, this is going to make life better. And in fact, it's over planning. When it, and following any fantasy, any fantasy at all, doesn't make life better. It makes it 
it's, it uses your energy up. It, uh, it's disagreeable. Yeah. It takes you out of contentment and ease and presence and comfort and simplicity. So once you have those references, then planning, you don't find it agreeable. It may be something you have to do, but it's, there's no thirst for it. If there's no contentment or ease or simplicity or limited quality of that, then the mind is searching for something to... This is where all fantasy is born from. This unfulfilled, hungry mouth. And so, you know, planning at least is legal. You can do it. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, you don't have to be embarrassed about it. But, but. So it's one of those things. Anxiety, associated with anxiety, is another form of bhavatanha, or one way in which it manifests, so that there will be a sense of confidence, clarity, ease, everything going well. Uh, fantasy. It's like every other fantasy. And you combat it like every other fantasy. First of all, you understand it is a fantasy. And here, yeah, to a certain degree, it is functional, it's not a fantasy, it's a functional requirement. But you should begin to know, you get the message, no, this is not functional. I can, I can justify it, but I'm having to justify it because it's not really functional. It's a, it's a fantastic fantasy quality to it. Fantasy quality means you can never stop it because it has no real ground. It can never be quenched because it's not based upon anything. Uh, So it can't be fulfilled. And it comes through the Bhavatana really is like every other tanha is associated with a lack of uh, a block you could say so tanha seems to be uh, in some senses an emptiness that seeks fulfilment like a ever hungry ghost an ever straining quality to have and to get something to fill me, to make me feel more assured and steady. Kind of rather pathos in that. But it's also a block. It's a lump of something called ignorance. Something is cutting you off from your contentment and your ease and your fulfilment, which can only, only, only ever be now. There is no fulfilment other than now. Because the word, that's what it means. It means I am full now. <laughs> you can only be full now. You can't be full in the future. Can you? Because you're not in the future. <laughs> so you can't be filled in it. Because you're not in it. You're in the present. right? So <laughs> fulfillment can only be in the present. And that's the, the really miserable piece of any fantasy taking us out of the place where we could be fulfilled 
ourselves. And why are we fulfilled in the present? Because something is blocking access to that. That's uh, various forms of, or conditioned by ignorance. Doesn't mean you're stupid, it means there's something you haven't seen yet. You haven't seen a way to that center. You haven't seen or known or experienced the way to that steady place. Yeah, it hasn't been discovered by you yet. Yeah. Conditions and causes may have uh, made you're, you're not quite tuned in properly to that. And that's not necessarily your fault, but it's, it's, a, it's a responsibility. You better start getting tuned in and learn how to do it, because otherwise you're going to be following, swapping one fantasy for the next. Until there is that place where you don't need fantasy. And then when there is that place, where there is access to that, then we're in the future. Future is a myth. The present will continue to unfold. That's what we know. It always does. The present will unfold. There is no future. There's the present, which keeps unfolding like an ongoing kaleidoscope, you know, to turning a new condition. And it will unfold in accordance or the conditions that you plant and make much of now, they will be a powerful agent for how the present unfolds. What else can you do? What you plant, what you make much of now in your mind, in your body, in your heart, in your awareness, what you make much of now the causes, the conditions that you make much of now, they will be the seeds for how the future will unfold for you. In real experience. And surely, you know, do we need details of that? But if one does place there the seeds of awakening, the seeds of goodwill, the seeds of yeah, samadhi or contentment, then, then those, that's how the future is going to be. And this may sound bizarre because you can say, well, you know, we're in climate change and global warming and terrorism. And, uh, yes, yes, I would agree with that. And yet, also, we're not. Yeah. That's happening. Those things can happen, may happen, seem to be happening. No, no denying that in the objective world. Subjectively, one can live without terror. One can live without despond. Because you're not taking your cues from that. You're taking your cues from this. You want to be led by the world of ignorance and violence. Or do you really learn led by the center of your clarity and steadiness? The future depends on you. What do you want to take your cues from? I'm not saying this is a small topic or an easy topic. But it's a necessary topic. 
and you know, for all of us, but I, perhaps I would suggest even more for yourselves, you're getting this much more in your face than I am. <coughs> and you're getting it in your ears, under your skin, and you're getting it in your televisions and your newspapers and your and what people talk about. You're getting it saturated in that. Yeah. And it's going to, you know, you should indeed you know, feel anxious and feel rather depressed and sad and confused. I, I you know, it doesn't, I, when I do, do, do this, it's difficult to keep one's spirits up. But one recognizes it pragmatically. You know, if I'm just getting depressed and upset by it all, I'm really of very little service <laughs> to myself or others. I must keep myself going. I must keep my spirits up. I must keep my heart clear. This is no time to just go down. We need all the same people we can get. <laughs> so take your cues from your sanity the place that cannot be taken away from you beyond the sensory world beyond all that then your your future will be blameless and fearless and bright and you will die of course (laughs) 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 or something will die but yeah, you know. So, so we really like, you know, on a kind of very pragmatic level, you make the best of it by this. And so, the more you can eliminate fantasy of any kind. And what causes you, makes you able to eliminate fantasy, because you get into reality. <laughs> and reality is not a thing out there. That's, we call that existence. And uh, in, it's a, perhaps a linguistic thing, but existence is different from reality. Existence is this constant changing flux, reality is a steady, unchanging presence that we are, we cannot see because it's not an object. And this is so, the more the one can enter that, then fantasy, because it's much more rewarding much more spacious, much more enjoyable, much more potent in so many ways. You know, what fantasy? Fantasy is just candy floss, you know, fireworks. And that's the way it seems. No, no, no. Moralizing just seems like that. Like, you know, um, any kind. So even the... I notice how... 
we kind of predict things, and yeah, it's possible that we're going to hell and extinction. Uh, 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 yeah, but right now that's an imagination, uh, and there's a feeling there. Now, like every other feeling, it's powerful, it's potent, it has psychological effects. Uh, it's a perception. It challenges us. It throttles us. It sinks it into us. Uh, you don't want that. That's not going to make your life any better, make you any more effective, or bring around any, any uh, helpful changes in the world. One is clearer, steadier, stronger, brighter, more competent. Also, you recognise this. This quality is not something that you know, has to be confined to inside a monastery or inside a temple. There's a path. Yeah, so the Eightfold Path issues both leads in to that, but also leads out from that. You could say it's the path that leads out of suffering. And it's also something that comes after the ceasing of suffering so we begin to you know uh, what else is there to do but to live right what else is there to do to speak right and then what is right livelihood right energy, right effort right thought and how do they manifest and can we live those bring those forth uh, and yeah, generosity certainly. We, there's a question here about this whole topic. It's one kind of going off onto it about the world scenario, global scenario, and uh, really, there's some very, very uh, sim- simple to explain. Uh, uh, you know, the very traditional cooperation, uh, mutuality, sharing. Trust, generosity, morality. If there's generosity and the love of generosity, sharing and cooperating and sharing one's time and energy with others, then uh, we feel happier. There's less conflict, there's less jealousy, there's more equality, there's less strife. You know, we're in a situation where the inequality is massive and that that verges on the criminal. Yeah, and you cannot expect that not to generate violence and hatred and terror. So, the more that quality of sharing, cooperation, just sharing goods, sharing hospitality, opening doors, that becomes more standardised, you know, then, yeah, the, the, the violence drops. The more there's the quality of morality, virtue, Integrity, the world is the love of that and the beauty of it and what it makes possible and how it ennobles us and makes our lives feel dignified and makes us feel clear. There's a lot less, no violence drops, crime drops, stealing drops, abuse drops, the whole thing drops. Uh, the more is the interest in living simply because who wants the fantasies anyway? Who wants the billion dollar this and the 
fantastic. But anyway, it's just fantasy. You don't want it. You want to live comfortably and happily with your fellow humans. That's that's it. And so you, you can renounce. You can let go of stuff because you don't want it. And in fact, it can be rather tedious, cluttering stuff. So those those essentially are the Buddhist solutions. And but you know. Of course, the mainstream doesn't get those, and so one feels, in some sort of more um, objective way, that uh, that this is going to be pockets where people can form cooperative sharing and live simply and trust each other. Those are areas where true humanity can continue. Uh, where that isn't going to operate on fears for the worse so it's up to us as individually to see how we can be part of the solution rather than part of the problem meditation is not separate from that somebody says well with all this stuff going on I lose interest in meditating what's the point well meditation is the point because it's generating the solution the only solution the only real solution everything else is just kicking the can down the road you know, patching it up this is the solution and meditation is our responsibility to generate an authentic, really felt, lived uh, basis of understanding and uh, personal clarity because with meditation dana becomes natural sila becomes natural renunciation becomes natural you don't want the fantasies you don't want the, the big hits you just want a comfortable, peaceful, simple life and that's, that's the solution really you know, Seven or eight billion people cooperating would be absolutely marvellous, wouldn't it? <laughs> There's nothing, you know, you couldn't really have a problem then. You, could get, you know, you could get by. So, take heart, look after what's important. Annamayang damakataya sadhukarang dadama se Sadhu Sadhu